0: All right, our scripture reading for this morning is in Genesis, chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. And this is found on page 44 of the Pew Bible. If you want to locate it and read it from there, uh, that would be great. And if you do not own a Bible, please feel free to just grab one uh, of those in front of you and take it home as a gift from us. Okay, again, Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, again, welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Nathan. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the, the pastors here. I don't spend a ton of time at this campus. I have the last uh, month or so. Thanks for being so kind and uh, gracious to me to be here, to, to to welcome me into this, this space with you. It's been fun uh, for me to be able to do that. So uh, well, let me pray for us. And then this is it for Genesis. So if you've been with us for a while, you know, like we've been, in, like some of you like think that all we ever preach here is Genesis. Um, we're going to start something new next week. So let me finish, uh, let me pray and then we'll finish Genesis together this morning. Let me pray. Father, I'm so grateful for uh, your word. God, I'm thankful that you, um, that you have made us, that you love us that you know us and long to be known by us. And I'm I'm grateful that you've given us your word to show us who you are and who we are um, and how Jesus can rescue us and make us whole. Help us to see him today in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so anybody else maybe just like a little bit nervous about the last Star Wars movie? right? Yeah, I see a few hands. Uh, you know, I was fine. In, in fact, watching the trailer, I got excited until it said, like, in the trailer, this is the final story of the saga. Like, at that moment, like, all of my, ex- my, my excitement turned to anxiety. So, I was like, it's too much pressure. Like, how are they possibly going to wrap it all up? How, who's going to make this movie good, right? J.J. Abrams? Are you kidding me? Like, have we all forgotten the debacle with Lost, right? That guy? it's yeah yeah uh some of you remember like it's terrible like there's so much there's so much riding on this it, i mean it's it's hard to end a really good story well isn't it and, and i kind of feel that way a little bit today for moses because yeah, here we are i mean at the end of genesis and man it has been a long journey uh, if you've been around here like it's been a long t- in genesis and genesis is such an important book like, it is, it is the beginning of the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, it's like where everything starts, how we understand who we are and why God created and what, what we're meant to be and do and how it all fell apart. Like, it's all there in Genesis, that God made a good world. We vandalized his good design. We rebelled. Uh, and as a result, we have seen in Genesis story after story of heartbreak, betrayal, pain, heartache, regret, despair, and grief. For 29 weeks, people. I feel like we should have made t-shirts for all of you. Like, I survived the Genesis series, right? Because it's gotten pretty dark, hasn't it, at times? And if I'm completely honest, it's not really, it's not really Moses I'm nervous for in this moment. Because ne- Moses, I think, he's writing down these stories uh, for us and for God's people as they enter into the promised land. But if I'm completely honest, it's kind of God that I'm worried about. Because he, he started all this. We messed it up. But can he possibly make it good? And I don't don't just mean the end of Genesis, as important as that is, but like everything, everywhere. Can he he possibly make this story good? And I I realize for some of you, like you may recognize, okay, that's a big question. How's it all end? How's it going to wrap up? You know, is it going to be okay? But like for some of you, that's the least of your worries right now. You're just worried about whether or not your kids are going to turn out okay. Or how work is going to be tomorrow. You're worried about whether or not you've got enough money to, to make it through the end of the month, or if you're ever going to feel happy again, or, or whatever it is. Like, regardless, though, it's this, it's it's the same question: Can God make it good? And as I, as I look at my own life, my own story, like I just want to know: Is He going to get it right when it comes to my story? Is it going to be okay? Can I trust Him? Can anyone make it good? I can't help but wonder if Joseph wrestled with that question. Because Joseph, had a, he had a tough life, didn't he? And even though, yeah, we've been in Genesis for 29 weeks, five of those, including today, have been around Joseph's life. And now we come to the final chapter. It's the end of Genesis. It's the end of Joseph. And there's been hope with Joseph, right? Like, like finally, we've, we've encountered a character, really for the first time in Genesis, who's not a scoundrel. I mean, there's been some good moments along the way with, with God's people, sure, but like Joseph is, he's the first one really who's, who's g- given it a true effort all the way through his story to follow Yahweh, to be true to this God. And as we come to the end of this story, he, he ends this book with a speech to his brothers, and I'm, I'm convinced it's not just meant for them, it's meant for us. I think it's meant to be the, the concluding words, this kind of the summary statement of everything we've learned in Genesis. That this, this summary speech tells us the answer to our great question even today. Can anyone make it good? And so if you haven't already, turn to Genesis chapter 50. Again, we've, we've been with, with Joseph, and you know Joseph is the son of Israel, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. So you can kind of follow the, the story a little bit. Uh, and like this family's a mess, okay? Like this is, this is God's chosen people. These, this is his family. It should give us all hope for our families, right? Because they're, they're a nightmare. And so if you even remember the beginning of Joseph's story, like he is sold into slavery at age 17 by his own brothers. as a 17 year old. He goes from slavery eventually into prison for a crime he did not commit, actually for doing the right thing. He's thrown in jail. Once in prison, he's forgotten. And it's not until age 30 that he's finally released. He interprets a couple of dreams within the jail, one of which is for Pharaoh himself, and he ends up climbing all the way to the top to like the number two person in all of Egypt, right underneath Pharaoh himself. It's a pretty remarkable remarkable story and, and, and last week like we saw the incredible forgiveness of Joseph that that he actually he forgives his brothers and he he rescues them he in essence like he saves God's people from famine keeping God's promise moving forward right that leads all the way eventually to Jesus but now their dad is dead it's kind of how this story that we're looking at today begins their dad's dead and all the brothers just sort of assume at this point, like, uh-oh. Like, maybe Joseph's been pretending all this time. Maybe he didn't really forgive us. Maybe he's just like, you know, he's a daddy's boy and he wants to do, do, do right by dad. But now dad is dead. And so the brothers are convinced. Like, what is to stop him from murdering us now? They know they deserve it, Right. And so the they brothers, they get together and they, they come up with a scheme. I mean, this is kind of who they are, right? This is who they've been in the story. They come up with another lie. Let's tell Joseph that dad's dying wish, like deathbed moment, was that he would spare us. And so they, they go to Joseph, right? And they plead, plead with mercy. And it's so remarkable to me in this story that even there in that moment, they ask for Joseph's forgiveness and Joseph weeps. We I mean, just think about that. Like, it has been now 40 years since they sold him into slavery. It's been 15 to 20 years since he first forgave them, them, and still he weeps. Like, forgiveness does not mean the pain goes away. Like, this is as raw as it was 40 years ago for him. He weeps, which freaks out the brothers. Like, they don't know. Are these tears of anger, right? Is, it, is judgment coming now? And so they, they fall on their knees before him. And, and verse, verse 18, they cry out, behold, Joseph. We are your servants, which is really the scene from the first story in Joseph, right? That dream that Joseph had, here it's, here it's coming true. They're bowing down before him, spare us. Behold, we are your servants. And that word servant there, it's the same Hebrew word used earlier of Joseph just describing his slavery to Potiphar's house. And so what they're essentially saying is, Joseph, we, we did wrong by you. We made you a slave. Now let us be your slaves, like anything to spare us. And Joseph had every right. He's number two in Egypt. He could do whatever he wants, right? And none of us here would blame him for taking vengeance upon these, these, these brothers. But what does he say? Verse 19. He says, do not fear for am I in the place of God. Now you got to think about that for a moment. Put that in his context of all that we've seen throughout Genesis. Because basically every problem we've ever had in genesis or today in many ways has come down to a failure of how we answer that question right like every problem in in genesis in our problem sense selfishness greed the failures in our families the politics at work the injustice is in our world at its root comes down to how we answer that question am i in the place of god can i take his place that's what adam and eve did when they they grabbed that fruit right it wasn't the fruit they wanted it was the knowledge of good and evil they wanted to take god's place it's what cain did when he murdered his brother abel to the builders of the tower of babel did it's it's what abraham did time and again with his his lies and the way that he enacted such incredible injustice against hagar and against ishmael it's what isaac did esau jacob judah the brothers story after story after story of people trying to take the place of God. And if we've learned anything after 29 weeks in Genesis, it's this. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And and so here's our our first summary uh, of Genesis. And really the speech that Joseph gives his brothers, it's in three parts. We're going to look at each, each of these sections Uh, Together, But the first first thing you just cannot miss from Genesis and from today is that we cannot take the place of God. We want to. We've been trying from the very beginning. I'm not sure a day has passed in my life when I haven't given it a good effort, right? But this book shows us what happens when we do, and it is ugly. For every sin at its core is our attempt to stand in the place of God. It's us trying to write the story for ourselves. This, this summer, like right after we had gotten home from our, our vacation, we had a couple weeks out, kind of camping out west in Utah and Arizona and it was awesome and like it felt like we'd been home maybe a minute. I don't really, it might have been a few days, I have no idea. Uh, but like that's what it felt like when our credit card company contacted us and were like, hey, did you guys buy $300 in gift cards at the convenience store in someplace Arizona? Which of course we hadn't. Um, and, like, it's just an annoying. So somebody, you know, stole our credit card number and, you know, made these charges. And, and at the end of the day, it doesn't, like, the credit company, they, like, they cover all that. Like, it's just a hassle of new card numbers. I mean, you've been there, some of you. Like, it's just, it's just annoying. But, like, like, think about that for a second. Because at, at the core there, what happened is somebody pretended to be me, if you think about it, right? Somebody stood in my place. They signed my name tried to spend my money with my card number. Like, I'm Nathan Miller, right? And like, I think about that. It's outrageous. I kind of want to punch the person, right? Like, it's it's terrible. And yet, I mean, I try to stand in God's place all the time. I I try to endorse his his signature to, you know, to support my my decisions. Like, yes, I approve of Nathan's habits and lifestyle and attitudes and even his vices. Like, like, I try to get him to sort of line up with my definition of the good life. Like, I, I want to do that for me. I want to decide what's right and wrong for me. And really, what it, what it comes down to is, like, I don't, like, in my worst moments, I just, I just don't believe that God is going to write a good enough story for me. But I got to do it for myself. Like, that I have, I have to grab the pen out of his hand. We're afraid he's going to screw it up like J.J. Abrams, right? And so we try to write it for ourselves. And fan fiction is always so good, isn't it? Look where it's gotten us. I mean, Genesis shows us on every page. The Bible shows us on every page, but you don't need the Bible to tell you this. Like, just look at your own experience. Like, you know this is true, right? I mean, even just for a moment, I don't, I don't mean to pull back the, the, or dig into the wounds in your life, but just think for a moment of the, the places you've been hurt the most, like the wounds that you, just, you still carry. Or, or think about the wounds that you've inflicted on the people that you love the most, like the, the hurt that you've done to other humans. Like if you look deep enough at those circumstances, most every time you will find at its core that either you or they try to stand in the place of God. With the words that they spoke to you of unkindness. Those weren't God's words, but they tried to make them that way. The abuse or betrayal, the neglect that you feel, the regret, like for so many of our our, our circumstances, we can look back and think, if only, if only they had listened to God. If only I had obeyed. Like we know this from our own experience. Like when we stand in the place of God, we break things. And so much heartache in our lives could be eliminated. And so let me just ask, before I move on to the next point, where are you trying to take his place? Where are you most likely to try to grab control from him? Spare yourself the disaster. Because with Joseph, finally, at the end of Genesis, we finally get to a character who lets God write the story. And it is a breath of fresh air, isn't it? lesson number one from genesis you cannot take the pl- place of god stop trying all right go back go back to the story again we're going to keep reading verse 19 we'll go a little bit further this time but verse 19 again he says it says joseph said to them do not fear for am I in the place of god as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good So you see his his forgiveness. You see his refusal to to stand in God's place and enact vengeance upon his brothers, right? But he doesn't, don't miss this, like he doesn't minimize their actions. And I think this is really important. We tend to brush over when bad stuff happens, like when people do, people harm us or, or mistreat us. But Joseph doesn't do that. He forgives them, but he calls it what it is, evil, right? You meant evil for me. And we don't, we don't really like that word do we and yet we've we've seen it on every page of Genesis I think you've seen it in your life right and I think this leads us to the second summary of of Genesis of this story is that evil will be meant for you evil is meant like coming out of the garden it fell apart it's broken now and now evil is meant for us and this is, this is one of the main reasons we are so hesitant to trust God to write the story. Because like, there's so much brokenness, so much evil. But again, we don't, we don't like that word, right? It makes us a little uncomfortable. It's like, man, that just seems so, is it really that bad? Evil. But then you hear about another shooting, right? Or, or you hear about racism or abortion or human trafficking. You think about child abuse and you can you can blame education upbringing politics culture mental illness and certainly all those things can play a part but none of those quite get get at it right i mean joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers that's evil and some of some of you have been tragically abused some of you live in an abusive home some of you are the abusers. Some of you have been bullied, betrayed, neglected. And some of you have been the cause. It's not okay. There is no excuse. It is evil. But like it, it's a, I mean, this is a crazy world that you, we humans, we are, we are capable of unbelievable beauty, you and I. Like unbounded goodness and unimaginable horror. Like we can, we can do both, right? I mean, like, you've got, the, you've got the active shooter and you've got the innocent bystander who, like, for some reason goes in to try to, to rescue, right? You've got the people who flew into the buildings and you've got the, the first responders who, who went in to rescue. You've got the bully in your class, kids, and you've got the girl who's willing to, to stand up against that bully. I mean, you and I, like, each of us are capable of going in either direction, sometimes both at the same time. It lives within us. We are puzzling creatures. How else do you explain that apart from Genesis? Because Genesis tells us that we've been made in God's image, to be like him, a loving father. So of course we're we're capable of incredible things, good things, beautiful things. But it also tells us that we rebelled and evil now lives in us. And in the people around us, in broken systems, nations, ideologies, And don't forget the serpent. We invited him to stay. There is a malevolent being alive in our world who laughs at us. And aren't there times when you watch the news or you see a breakdown in your own family or your own circumstances and you can almost hear him laughing, seeking to destroy us, seeking to root out all that is good and peaceful, beautiful and now we live in a place where evil will be meant for you Oz guinness he's a brilliant writer and, and thinker he's actually going to be with us on saturday at christ community at our Leewood campus um hopefully you will come and be a part of that he's going to talk about our cultural moment he's deeply shaped christ community a uh, brilliant individual But in his his excellent book, Unspeakable, which is really an entire book about evil, it's a a light read, I assure you. Um, But listen to what he says, such profound words. He says, the world should have been otherwise. I mean, I just love even that statement, like that could be the title of Genesis. It, it, It should have been different. It should have been otherwise. From the beginning of the Bible to its end, there is no shred of ambiguity about evil. Evil is totally, radically, and flagrantly counter to the character and purpose of God. Evil is a rupture in the cosmic order of things, a cancer whose malignancy has spread to every part of life, a form of red-handed mutiny against life as it was supposed to be. It is an imposter, and it has planted a powerful seed of doubt in every one of us that forces us continually to ask the question, can anyone make it good? Can anyone take this mess and make it right? And it is really hard for us to trust God to, to write the story. So let me just ask, where, where does fear get the best of you? Let I me mean, just think about that for a moment. Where are the places where you're least likely to trust? Because here's, here's the deal. In a world as broken as ours, your worst fears could come true. Like, there's there's just no guarantees. Things are that broken. And you, you can allow that fear to control you. You can try to wrestle the pen out of God's hand so you can write it for yourself. And, you know, for me, I'd be penciling in words like control, security, isolation, right? Safety. But none of that can help you. What you need most isn't a God who just gives you what you want. We're too messed up for that. What we need is a God who can take whatever life throws us, who can, who can take the evil we make and the evil that we take and somehow make it right. That's what we long for, people. And this is what's so remarkable that when we get to the end of this, this story, both in, in Genesis and for Joseph, I mean, it's been terrible, right? Right? And yet it builds again to these these words. Let me read them and I'll I'll go a little further again this time. Verse 19, says, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. They meant to enslave him. God meant to empower him, to use him. Like they meant to oppress and subject him. God meant to do incredible things through him. They meant to destroy him. God meant to save thousands through him. They meant evil. God meant good. And I know it's like those are words on a page and they're inspiring. They make me feel nice. But do you believe God can do that for you? Do you believe that God can take the brokenness in your life and in our world, that he means it somehow for good? Your circumstance, your story, do you believe that God can do that with our world? Because Joseph, I mean, against everything, like so much hardship throughout his life, Joseph still believes that God can make it good. Like at the end of the day, like, He has an unshakable confidence, and that—that's the third thing here. The last thing, the last sort of summary uh, of Genesis. In light of all of the ugliness we see as God's people, we still believe, don't we, that God can make it good? But even here, this is a story of God's grace. Like, like God's grace flows through Joseph in such a way that he undoes generations of family sin. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? This forgiveness. And not just that, God uses their, his brother's evil deeds to literally save thousands of people from famine. I mean, already making good on God's promise that through this family, sometimes despite this family, he would bless the nations, even Egypt. Even when it feels hopeless, Genesis, like I don't know about you, but like Genesis is kind of a hopeless book, isn't it? It feels that way. I mean, there's, there's glimmers of hope. Joseph is a hopeful story, but man, it is a—it feels hopeless. I mean, frankly, it feels a lot like turning on the news, doesn't it? And I don't—I don't know why God tends to work this way, but it's—it almost—it almost seems to me like He almost waits for it to get hopeless. I mean, you maybe you've noticed that in Genesis, if you're familiar with the Bible, like it's feels like in almost every story he like waits for the moment of desperation it's it's like he waits for us to inch you and you and i to inch closer to despair and then he's like now i can work with this right it's almost it's it's almost like he waits it reminds me a little bit of a time in martin luther king jr's life um early on in the civil rights movement there's a, there a period where he almost quit i didn't realize that it was a, a really difficult moment it was in the midst of the, the bus boycotts and I mean, evil is being hurled against him like, you know, we can't even hardly imagine. Uh, and it's, it's, it was a night in particular, he, he writes about this, as one of the most pivotal nights in his entire life where he wanted to give up. Because in the middle of the night, he's asleep and somebody called him and on the other end of the line was a guy saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow up your house while you sleep in it. And so, I mean, like, I can't even imagine that. But at that moment, like, he's, he's done sleeping. He makes coffee and he sits at his kitchen table. And as he describes it, he's literally trying to find a way out. He's just done. And he, he writes I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. Like many of us, right? At the end of his rope, that's what we do. And in his desperation, he prayed. And he says, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fear began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. But only after the desperation only after it felt hopeless. Only after he wanted to give up. And, and like we celebrate his life, his his accomplishments. But I think like we often forget this. Like he didn't see it. Like he was assassinated. And so even what he was working toward in that moment, like, he didn't, he didn't get us to enjoy the rewards of that. And even today, right, if we're honest in our country, we're still waiting for his dream to be realized. And yet even so, even in his desperation, he kept believing in a God who could make it good. And that, that just, that reminds me of Joseph. Because Joseph dies in Egypt. Like, think, is there a more depressing ending to Genesis than that? Like, it begins in the Garden of Eden, and ends in a coffin. Like, it doesn't doesn't end in the garden, this place God made of, of joy. It doesn't even end in the promised land, like where God's people are headed. It ends with death. Genesis begins with the invention of life and ends in a coffin. And the only, like, for sure thing that we know coming out of Genesis 3 ever since is that every one of us, every person here, our story ends with death. ends in a coffin you get a coffin and you get a coffin and you get a coffin right sorry i got kind of dark there for a second genesis ends with death and so do i and yet i mean this is so amazing to me about joseph he knows better like even there, I don't, I don't know how he understands this. I don't know where he gets his theology. I mean, this early on in, in the biblical story and yet he knows better and we see it in his last words that even, even if God doesn't make it good now, one day he will. And Genesis actually, it ends with Joseph saying these words. Listen to what he says. This is like his dying breath. So this is a, a ways after the story we just talked about. His last words to his brothers. He says, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones for me god is going to come i mean first things are going to get really terrible and we know that for the people of israel right there's 400 years of slavery in egypt that's what it's going into but god is going to come he is going to rescue you i'll be dead just take me with you but think, think about the faith that he had this is how much joseph believes that god can make a good he knows that god's promises they're not limited by his brother's sin against them they're not even limited by his own death I want to end with just one last question it's a weird one I think you'll get it where will you put your bones your hope your confidence where are you planting your identity because Joseph knows Egypt is not home and again you gotta like put that in perspective with, like he's number two in Egypt like this is, this is the best home he's ever had right he he is comfortable, he is powerful, he has everything he could possibly want, and still at the end of his life, he says, please don't leave me here. This is not God's promise for me. This is not my home. Take me to the promised land. I mean, it's it's an incredible act of faith in this moment, and all that he has, he knows this is not enough. And That humbles me, because so often I think this is it, right? What you see is what you get. Everything I have is all it is. And you know this is, this is life now. And now is everything. And I wrongly believe so often that if God is good, he's gonna, he's gonna make it good now, right? If he's worth anything at all, he's gonna make my life easy and happy and comfortable now. But people, you know this, right? This, that's not faith. That's not the story of scriptures. That's not the story of Joseph. And I know that it's hard to believe but that promise still stands. Those words of Joseph: "God will visit us." Even there, promised in Genesis, and He's done it before, and He will do it again. But even just think about when Jesus came. I mean, like God waits till it gets hopeless, doesn't He? I mean, had the world ever been more hopeless? As Jesus hung on a cross, all of the evil of all of the world hold upon him. My own sins, as he, as he hung there, as, as the Son of God was rejected, denied, betrayed, and eventually murdered. Like he actually died. And his body began to decompose in the grave for three days. Even Jesus gets a coffin. I mean, never, never had things looked more hopeless, never had the world known such evil, never had the serpent laughed with such joy. As we sometimes sing, our savior displayed on a criminal's cross, darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. And some of you feel like you're stuck in between those words and the words that follow, right? You're you're right there in the darkness. Maybe you feel like hope is slipping away. You don't know what to do next. Maybe maybe things are just crashing in on you and you you have more questions than answers and and you feel the pain and you keep crying out like, God, can, can anyone make this good? And yet you have to keep going in the song, right? Darkness rejoice as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with my freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. God meant it for good. And God means it for good. Whatever that that looks like for you and your story, right? If you're with Jesus, he means it for good. And you you don't have to end in a coffin. You don't have to succumb to the evil within you or around you. You don't have to live in fear or despair because God means it for good. And we believe that he's going to visit us again, don't we? The resurrected one, the king victorious, the lion of Judah, the one who is worthy. He is going to come. And he will make all things new. We will be made new. His world will be made new. This is the story that our God is telling. This is the story that you and I are invited to participate in and he can make it good. Let's pray. Father, even as I say those words, I feel way too much doubt in my heart. And I know there's, there's, there's a lot of doubt in this room. God, it is hard to believe in the midst of the pain that we sometimes feel that you are still at work. And so we ask God that would you would you give us a faith beyond what we can possibly muster on our own? Would you give us a supernatural ability to trust in you despite our circumstances? Would you give us hope like you gave to Joseph? That we as your people could even say, "Hey, take my bones with you. This is not my home." And so, Lord Jesus, we we pray that you would visit us. Visit us here in this space, even as we finish our time together of of worship. Visit us in our homes. Visit us in our workplaces, our schools, the places where we feel most anguish and doubt. Would you visit us? And ultimately, would you please come back? You promised to. We trust you for it. We ask you to do it quickly. Be glorified, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.